0: James chapter 2. We're continuing in our series, Humble Faith. And I don't think any preacher who preaches through James would be doing his job if he didn't use a play on words for the passage that we're looking at today. So this sermon is called Humble Faith Works. Uh, please stand if you're able, and we'll be reading James 2, 14 through 26. James 2, 14 through 26. This is God's Word. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So far the reading of God's Word. Please pray with me. Father, create in us a clean heart, and by your Spirit, renew a right spirit within us. What we know not teach us, what we have not give us, what we are not make us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Please be seated. Let's imagine a scenario. Suppose for just a moment that a friend came up to you very excited and said, Guess what? I got married last week. And you think, Oh, okay. That's not typically something you surprise a friend with. It doesn't take you by surprise. You would know this about your friend. Let's say you didn't even know that this friend was dating, you didn't know they were engaged. So, You're a little concerned. You're a little troubled by this news. You're a little confused that it's happening. You've never even met any significant other. Now let's say they invite you over uh, for dinner. And you go, and it's getting a little weird at this point, but it's a sermon illustration, so just hang with it. And you go for dinner, and your friend's home looks no different than the last time you were there. There's nothing new. Maybe the last time you were there for a girl's night or for a guy's night, as the case may be. I can tell you that when I got married, the decor in my bachelor pad radically changed. <laughs> Mariana will tell you as much. Just ask her about it. <laughs> but here you, are, here you are at your friend's place, and there are no picture frames of this newlywed couple, no photos, no new decor, nothing has changed. And of course, the biggest surprise and kind of strange thing is that this so-called spouse isn't even there for dinner. What do you think? Is your friend really married? There's something wrong with this picture, right? Well, suppose that, switching gears now, suppose this was someone's Christian testimony. Oh, I believe in Jesus. My faith is in Him. He's my eternal and only hope. Well, what's changed in your life? Where's the evidence? Where are the pictures? The shared life with this Jesus that you say you love. Where has your life begun to be conformed more and more after the image of your Savior? walking in the same way in which he walked keeping and obeying him keeping his commandments and loving him so where is the evidence and i think that's where james is turning now uh, in this letter if you say you believe in jesus it's kind of like that internet meme right where it says if i win the lottery i won't tell anyone but there will be signs right maybe it's a seven layer peanut butter and jelly sandwich or top ramen with a lobster tail hanging out of the styrofoam cup instead of those little dehydrated shrimps, right? There will be signs. That's the point. There will be signs when you follow Jesus. If you've been saved by Jesus, you're never going to see perfection. Uh, We can't expect that, but you're going to see a difference in this person's life, a different direction. Different things become important to someone who follows Jesus. A different way of life flows out of our faith. And as we get to this passage. Let me just say, as Protestants, maybe especially as Presbyterians, our first impulse is to say, oh, when we get to James 2, we have to figure out how we match that up with the Apostle Paul. You know, I I think that's important, of course, and I don't think James and Paul are at odds, but I'd like for us to let James speak to us today. Let's let James, and what he says, stand alone, in a sense, on his own two feet. Uh, Let's hear his scriptural accent, what the Spirit wants us to learn from him. I'll make a couple of comments along the way, but I really want us to hear what James has to say to us. I think this is an indispensable exhortation that we have from James. Uh, I think it'll help us both, you know, to challenge us, but also to be an encouragement to our faith. Uh, So the big idea today is simply this, uh, faith without works is dead. That's James' point, and that's my point. But I think on the positive side, we can also see what a living, active faith looks like. In this passage. True vital living faith is good for you and it's good for your neighbor. So two points today just comparing and contrasting a faith that's dead and a faith that's alive. dead faith does no one any good. That's the first point. Second point, living faith is good for you and your neighbor. So let's look at first this dead faith and how it does no one any good. To start out, I'm going to begin with only the first of two, but what about Paul comments I want to make in this sermon. When we talk about faith, we have to ask ourselves, what does James mean by faith? Usually our thoughts run ahead to justification, and we'll get there. But what does James mean by faith? That helps us see how Paul doesn't come along later and contradict him in his letters. It's really a pastoral problem, or rather the pastoral problem that both Paul and James are addressing. We have to ask ourselves, what are they speaking about? On the one hand, Paul is at pains throughout all of his writings uh, to say that true faith in Christ, true faith that lays hold of Christ, that faith saves. You don't have to add anything to that faith. That faith saves by itself. Faith alone saves. And he's making that point over and over He's addressing people who have been taught that they have to add works of the law to that true faith in Christ in order to be justified. And he says, no, it's not faith plus works. It's faith alone that justifies. But James, on the other hand, that's not who he's talking to. That's not the problem he's addressing. He's talking to hypocrites, people who have so-called faith. So when you read faith in Paul, he's talking about faith. Here we could say James is talking about faith, quote, unquote, Phony faith, dead faith, faith that isn't real, not true living faith, but dead faith. Probably our most common word for this today is nominal faith. You've heard that right. Someone is a nominal Christian. Nominal faith. I'm sure many of us have been in circumstances where people around us, maybe in the workplace, maybe in our families, have had nominal faith, right? Sometimes that just means I was born in the USA. Of course I'm a Christian. There's a mindset there, this idea that, yeah, I'm a Christian, why wouldn't I be a Christian? But it's not real. It's not a living, active faith. It might be enough to let, make someone say, praise the Lord if something good happens in their life, but it's not changing them. It hasn't actually united them to Christ. It's not true in living faith. So Paul is saying, faith alone saves. On the other hand, James is saying, saving faith is never alone. Right? Faith alone saves, this is true. But saving faith is never alone. Living faith, true faith, uh, produces works. So that's just the first thing to mention when we come to reconciling James and Paul. But let's look here at what James says. He's, he's defining the qualities of this true faith and what dead faith lacks uh, that true faith actually has. So the first thing to notice uh, we've said that dead faith does no one any good. And first off, we see that dead faith does no one any good because it doesn't serve your neighbor. It doesn't serve your neighbor. Look with me at verses 14 to 17. James says, "'What good is it, my brothers, "'if someone says he has faith but does not have works, "'can that faith save him? "'If a brother or sister is poorly clothed "'and lacking in daily food, "'and one of you says to them, "'Go in peace, be warm and filled,' without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. I think the logic itself needs no explanation, right? But let me tell you a story. Uh, Mariana and I hadn't been married very long, and uh, we were off exploring in my 93 Toyota pickup. I think we were headed to the lake with our bikes in the back to take a bike ride around the lake. It was fun until... I turned off on a road that had a sign. It was a dirt road, and the sign said, Minimum Maintenance Road. You know what a minimum maintenance road is? (laughs) I should have known better than to take this road. It just means travel at your own risk, right? It had been raining. You can see where this story might be headed. I thought, well, I'm in my trusty truck. It's no big deal. It's a 93 Toyota pickup with a, you know, four cylinders and no four-wheel drive, but of course I can drive down this maintenance minimum maintenance road. Well, before long, the driver's, the driver's side of the truck sunk in the mud. It sunk so deep that I had to crawl out Mariana's side uh, to get out of the truck and to call for help. So I called my trusty friend Jeff. Jeff is the friend you call because he drops everything and he answers when you call. The problem was I couldn't tell him where I was at. I said I was on my way to Hillsdale Lake and I'm on a minimum maintenance road, and that's about all I got. And so he figured out the path I might have been taking and drove around honking his horn while I was on the phone saying, I think I can hear you a little bit. Okay, I think you're getting closer. He drives down this road with Mariana and I bouncing in the truck, and he's just looking at me in his Ford Bronco, right? And it's struggling on this road. Why <laughs> He's like, really, dude? You drove down this road? Now, what if Jeff had answered my call, and he said, Dan may your tires be unstuck (laughs) and your truck on solid ground. 100% unhelpful, right? That's not what a friend would do. And James says, James says, that's not what faith does. It's not what faith does. Living faith is, it's this faith, it's this faith in Jesus that results in acts of kindness, obeying God's law to love him and to love others. And you don't love someone by saying, hope your tires get unstuck, my friend. No, you drop everything and you go and you help this friend. If the best you give is empty platitudes, that's what dead faith looks like. Dead faith does no one any good because dead faith doesn't serve your neighbor. That's really the travesty of it all. It doesn't serve your neighbor. I wonder if you're thinking about that. and Maybe uh, you're thinking about it and saying, but what's actually the point? Maybe you're thinking I thought James was going to tell me whether or not my faith can save. And here he is talking about what good that faith is to a neighbor. Well, maybe we've really misunderstood how faith takes us out of selfish selfish ambition, as James puts it, this worldly wisdom and points us in our whole life towards the good of others. I recognize James is setting up an analogy here. Faith without works is like telling a brother go be warm and be filled so there's an analogy, but I think it's a connection that goes beyond analogy. Surely James has in mind the words of his brother Jesus, his Savior Jesus, recorded in Matthew 25 41 and following, where Jesus says about the last day, then he will say to those on his left, the goats, those who thought they believed but were not found in Christ, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. see, these are serious things. Dead faith uh, reveals itself when it doesn't show love to those in need. Going on, Jesus says, then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I found that really incredibly challenging, uh, studying, studying this contrast between dead faith and living faith. It's true that James is explaining the ways we can tell if our faith isn't real, and thus not saving faith that will rescue us personally from condemnation. But it's interesting that the first place he points us to is how this dead faith does nothing for others. How living faith is this others-oriented nature of life or way of life, but dead faith does nothing. I think it's because of this living faith uh, that we see this playing out. Uh, Be warm and be filled. You see earlier in in James chapter 2 where he says if a rich man comes into your assembly and a poor man comes and you treat them differently, he's continuing this same theme. But here he's talking about the difference between dead and living faith. Remember what he said pure and undefiled religion is back in chapter 1. It's serving the helpless in their distress and keeping oneself unstained from the world's vices and values. Things that detract from the reason that we've been rescued from sin. It's not just to live a happy life knowing that when we die, we're going to heaven when we die. It's about this others-oriented life. Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. If your so-called faith doesn't set you on an others-oriented trajectory, that faith is futile. It's worthless. It does no good to anyone, first, because it doesn't serve your neighbor. But there's another reason dead faith does no good for anyone, or it's no good for anyone. It doesn't serve your neighbor. Secondly, it doesn't save your soul. Look again with me at verses 18 and 19. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So James introduces a rhetorical opponent here, uh, this conversation partner. And the grammar is a little tough to figure out. I like the suggestion that we could read this as a retort fired back at James, something like, oh, you have faith, do you? with James replying, well, yes, I do, and I have works. Let's compare. You show me your so-called faith without your works, and I'll show you my living faith by my works. I think that's a paraphrase that uh, helpfully captures what James is saying here. So his first point, uh, the be warm and be filled example, it's this appeal to common sense. It's logical, right? It's kind of a no-brainer that be warm and be filled does no one any good. This reveals dead faith. But here James Gets a little spicy. He gets a little sarcastic. If his first point was answering the question, what good is it? If that's all your faith does, or if your faith doesn't do anything, what good is it? Now he's saying, well, good for you. Well, good for you. You believe that God is one. Thinking back to Israel's ancient creed, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So you believe God is one. Well, good for you. You're about as well off as the demons are. That's his point here. Even the demons believe and shudder. James said that you know he doesn't get specific, or we've said, rather, in this series that James doesn't get very specific about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But he's certainly someone who just exudes the works and the words of Christ. When he talks about go, be warm, and be filled, I think he's remembering that statement that Jesus made about the final judgment. When he talks here about the demons shuddering, Uh, surely he's thinking about the life of Christ when the demons did shudder in the presence of Jesus. Matthew 8, 29. And behold, they, the demons, cry out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? See, the demons had that much faith. They knew Jesus was the Son of God. You see, mere lip service to the existence of God Or even the power of Jesus doesn't rise above the baseline belief that even the demons have. James is saying, okay, so you have this so-called faith that no one would ever guess by looking at your life, not even if they searched over your life with a fine-tuned comb. Uh, It's this faith that says, oh, I believe in God, but then says, sorry you're hurting, Uh, be warm and be filled. That's your faith? Well, good for you. You believe about as much as the demons believe. Dead faith does no one any good. It doesn't serve your neighbor. And since it really doesn't arise above the basic ascent to truth that the demons have, uh, it doesn't save you. It can't save you. So that's dead faith. Now, as we make this turn now from dead faith to living faith, uh, what living faith really looks like, can I just encourage you for a minute? I'm so encouraged by the living faith that I see here at Heritage. Each of us needs to examine our own hearts. That's what we're always called to do when we sit under God's word. Uh, but I think we can see this uh, good fruit of love, this others serving love in this church. A love and support for people who have given their lives serving the Lord on the foreign field as missionaries. A love and support for those in need through ministries like the Shelter Meals or Project Paraguay or Craze for Ukraine. Uh, care, care for single mothers in need in our community and in our congregation. Prayer and concern and encouragement and physical help for the grieving widow, for those who have lost loved ones, for those who uh, need help and hope among us. I think we see that. We should be encouraged by that, friends. So each one of us should search our own hearts to see if we're exhibiting this pure and undefiled religion that James speaks of. But I think we have a lot of reasons to be encouraged. Praise God for what he's doing here. And may he show us where we can continue to grow. But may he keep doing this work among us. So moving then now from dead faith, now let's look at living faith. Uh, James is really arguing all the way through against dead faith, but I think here we can see the flip side and consider what living faith looks like. So the first point, dead faith does no one any good. Second point, living faith is good for you and your neighbor. Let me take a moment as we shift to this to explain the second but what about Paul thing I want to talk about. Uh, We've already said that Paul was at pains to exclude works from salvation because he's talking about true faith. And when you have true faith, true faith alone saves. James is really saying that true faith is never alone. It always produces good works. But what is the, what's the deal with justification? Uh, it seems pretty clear that Paul says, "...for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law." But that James says, look at verse 24. James says, "...you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone." that seems a little contradictory. I think the best way to put this or to explain this is that James, when he says justify, he's talking about vindication. He's talking about this idea that the good works that we see in our lives vindicate our faith. They prove it's true. Works of love are evidence or fruit that vindicates the reality of living, saving faith. They don't add to it, and they don't justify us in themselves. They vindicate the faith as real and living and saving faith. It's like the reformer Martin Luther put it, oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. And so it is impossible for it not to do good works incessantly. It does not ask whether there are good works to do, but before the question rises, it has already done them and is always at the doing of them. He who does not do these works is a faithless man. It's a busy little thing, this faith. It's always doing good works, and that's evidence that vindicates the reality of the faith. So let's take a look now at how living faith is good for you and your neighbor. Now, James gives us two examples from Scripture. First, he takes us to Father Abraham, right? The father of the faith. We might say here that Abraham shows how he receives with meekness the Word of God. You'll remember that from chapter 1 James says to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul I think we see this humble saving faith uh, in Abraham's life as he offers his son as God has asked him to do look at verses 20 through 23 with me James says do you want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless so that's the negative side but consider the positive side now One of the many reasons commentators and theologians explain justification in this context as vindication is that Abraham is already justified when this story happens. In Genesis 15, decades before the story of Genesis 22 and the binding of Isaac, he was counted as righteous when he believed God. His obedience to God in the binding of Isaac was a vindication of his faith. His works vindicated the reality of the faith by which he had been justified. The author of Hebrew puts it, we heard this read this morning already, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in fact, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did Receive him back. If dead faith is no good to save your soul, this is a true living faith that saves, that takes God at his word, that says, I believe you can even bring my son back from the dead to fulfill your promise. This is true faith that obeys God and trusts him. It has, there's this implicit faith that God will work. But I don't want us to br- brush past this phrase when James says, He was called a friend of God. He was called a friend of God. Isn't that just one of the most remarkable things we could possibly hear? He was called a friend of God. Through the prophet Isaiah, God speaks to his people in this remarkable way. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Look, if you don't know the story, Abraham was not a perfect man. He, was, he didn't live by faith all the time. He was a pragmatist. He took matters into his own hands, trying to hurry up God's promise and have a son uh, through Sarah's handmaid Hagar. He almost loses his wife to the king of Egypt when he tells Sarah as they go to escape famine, just tell them all you're my sister. He didn't always live by faith. If Abraham could only be justified by works of the law, if his works were what saved him and justified him, he blew it. Because didn't we just read earlier in James 2, that if you fail at one point in obeying the law and keeping the law, you lose the whole shooting match. It's all or nothing, and none of us can fulfill the law perfectly. However, mercy triumphs over judgment. and we see that here. Abraham didn't live the perfect life of faith, but the fruits of his faith, uh, the fruits of his faith were produced in his life. Faltering as it may have been through fits and starts, that faith produced fruit, and it vindicated that his faith was true. It proved it was real. It proved that he was, warts and all, a friend of God because of his faith. Living faith makes you a friend of God. That faith might be small, it might be weak, but it's not just the bare minimum belief of the demons. It's the faith that falls upon God, that rests on him, that receives his promises, that runs to him not as one who fears a judge, but one who loves God and is counted a friend of God because of that faith. Richard Capel said, A strong faith can apprehend no more than all of Christ, and all of Christ may be apprehended by a small faith. Thank goodness for that. So dead faith doesn't save your soul, but receiving God's word with meekness, with humble faith, that saves, and that makes you a friend of God. Living faith, even living but small faith, is enough to save your soul. The second example James gives, uh, it returns to this others-oriented aspect of the Christian life, this others-oriented life that living faith produces. It's somewhat shocking, these two examples that James chooses. Uh, he chooses the father of the faith, Abraham. These early Jewish Christians no doubt felt an even greater honor for Abraham than maybe Gentile believers like most of us can really fathom, just how much honor, they, you know, the, the honor with which Abraham was held throughout their entire uh, growing up years, hearing Torah read and singing psalms to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he chooses Rahab, on the other hand. This would be kind of jarring, but I think it serves to level the playing field when it comes to faith. Faith doesn't bring anything to the table. No honor that you possess because you're the father Abraham or because you're Rahab of Jericho. No, we're not saved by the faith that we bring, we're saved by Jesus and the faith that's placed in Him. Look with me at verse 25. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Hebrews 11 picks up on this story as well. Verse 31, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Her faith was vindicated by the friendly welcome she gave the spies. If you look back on the story of Rahab, it's really remarkable. If you look at her faith as she describes it in Joshua 2, it had all the elements of saving faith, as the Reformers understood it. Those three elements uh, a census, or notitia, a census, fiducia it's knowledge of the facts, assent to the truth of the facts, and importantly, trust in the facts, reliance on the facts. The demons know Jesus, and they understand who he is. They even assent that he is who he says he is, but they don't trust in Jesus. They don't receive Jesus. Faith that produces no works knows who Jesus is, and it may even acknowledge who Jesus is, but it doesn't trust in Jesus. It's proven false because it doesn't change anyone's life. But Rahab knew the facts. Uh, You don't have to turn to Joshua 2, but just hear what she says in Joshua 2.9. She says to the spies, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. The knowledge of the facts, that's there. The facts of the Exodus, this salvation moment that revealed God as a God who saves. She's, she knows this fact. She knows that this, this is a God who saves, and that, of course, will later be fully accomplished in Jesus. But in this salvation moment of the Old Testament, she knows what happened, but she also understood what it meant. She acknowledges what it means. Going on, she says, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So far, that's knowledge and it's understanding, but it's enough knowledge and understanding to get wiped out with the rest of the city. Even the demons believe and shudder, right? But she goes further. She knew the facts, she understood the facts, but she also trusts. Her trust is shown in how she treats the spies. Now then, she says... Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. So she cried out for mercy. And through her faith, uh, though her faith is holding out for this future mercy, it was vindicated then as true faith by this friendly welcome and protection that she gave to God's people. She was resting by faith on this mercy of God, and the mercy that she showed to the spies vindicated that faith. It showed that she had come to a true and living faith in the true and living God. Just like Rahab served the spies, living by faith uh, will serve your neighbor. We've covered a lot of ground in this sermon. Uh, I hope that as, we, as we've considered uh, you know, the faith uh, that saves versus this dead faith, I, I hope that we would be encouraged by this story, even the story of Rahab, of all people who exercise this living faith in God. James leaves off this whole section in the letter with the resounding reminder, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So as we leave this passage behind, let me ask you to ask yourself the following questions with me. And let's really ask them, each of us. Do I have living faith, or is my faith dead? Good to no one. No good for my neighbor and no good for me. Am I a go-warm-and-be-filled kind of person? Or has my faith made me look more like Jesus, who gave no empty platitudes, but sacrificed his very life to rescue me and my need? How is that impacting the way that I love and serve others around me? May God grant us the faith, uh, this faith that's vindicated as living and active as it loves God and serves others. Let's pray together. Father, please give us faith that knows and understands but also trusts. Faith that's real and not empty. Living and not dead. True and living faith in Jesus that's palpably real to the watching world by the love we show And may we be encouraged by your work in us as we see our heart moved away from self-focus and towards those in need around us. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.